Have you ever had one of those moments where you realized, um, too late, but you realized, I missed it. I missed something significant, kind of like the trailblazers feel about every time somebody says something about Michael Jordan. Do you realize how different it would be if they would have chosen Michael Jordan instead of Sam Bowie? Portland probably would be a nice place. (laughs) But they missed. And forever the individuals who thought a seven foot three towering individual would be something more, uh, you know, impactful than Michael Jordan. To this day, that person probably doesn't sleep well at night because they missed it. I probably would have missed it too. So it's not like I, you know, think that I would have done better. Because there's a lot of times in life that there's a humbling aspect. Carrie has a friend who is an expert in depression glass. And um, one day she was showing me, so what do you think the value of this is? I said, to me, 25 cents. She goes, oh, no, that's worth hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands of dollars. And it's like, nah, I'd pay a quarter because I don't know the value of depression glass. It would be like if you sent me to a garage sale and there's a bunch of baseball cards there. I don't know anything about baseball. I know there's a single, I know there's a double, there's a triple, there's a four base hit. After that, I'm done. And if you were to show me these baseball cards and say, hey, here's a Ken Griffey, you know, uh, rookie season card. I'd look at it and say, okay, give you a buck. I have no idea. Somebody knows. <laughs> if I saw a Ken Griffey Jr. baseball card, I would take a picture. I'd call Pastor Jeff and say, what's this thing worth? Because he knows everything about baseball cards. I know nothing. I would miss it. I can be looking at a $5,000 card and be done. Pay a buck. Somebody else would like, oh, this is worth. Why? Because they know. When Jesus came into town, he came in specifically during a festival, specifically on the Sabbath, because there was a group of people that were missing everything about him. Everything about this story is Jesus sequencing these events, not to humiliate them, but actually to fight for their hearts because they were missing him. Every person in the story had no clue who Jesus was, including the man who got healed. They were all excelling at missing the point. Like me looking at baseball cards or depression glass or uh, looking at the difference between Sam Bowie and and, um, Michael Jordan. The reality is when you don't know a treasure, you offer something that exposes your ignorance. When you don't know the real value of something, then you don't know what to give for it. And Jesus comes into town And he comes through what they call the sheep gate. This gate is identified today. You can go there. You walk through the sheep gate. You go up 25, 30 yards. And on the right-hand side is this little area where they would call it the pool of Bethesda. He comes in on a Sabbath. And he comes up to this gentleman. And he asks him a question. Would you like to be healed? Now, normally, if somebody asks me that after 38 years, I would say, yes, I'd love to be healed. He doesn't answer a question. Maybe it's because he doesn't know who he's talking to. Jesus asks him a question, and he says to him, 
You want to be healed? And the guy comes back to Christ. Eh, there's no one to throw me in the water. Jesus looks at him and says, get up, take your mat and leave. Now, can you imagine that maybe in the middle of this, the guy said, I haven't touched the water. Jesus looked at him and probably said, doesn't matter. Yes, it does. For 38 years, we've had to wait for an angel. And Jesus says, I know something about angels. Take up your mat and walk. Nothing about this story works. If you think this is a story about healing, you're missing the point. Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? He doesn't answer the question. Jesus says, get up, take your mat, and walk. And he doesn't even know who he is. The Jewish leaders come because they recognize that this guy was one of the guys that was invalid. And they come up to him and said, hey, who did this? And the guy goes, I don't know. You don't know who healed you after 38 years? No. He healed me and then boogied away before I had a chance to even ask him his name. Why? Because he didn't get the point. He had no idea who it was. The Jewish leaders come. They find out later because the man meets Jesus at the temple. And they come and they start having a conversation with Jesus. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Now stop, stop for a moment. Does that not just catch you as weird? A guy that they know, you know they know him. It's a major entry into the downtown Jerusalem area. For 38 years, this man has been going there virtually every day. They know him by name. They know what's going on. And the first time that they see him and they ask him, and because Jesus is doing these things, they ask the gentleman, hey, how come you're carrying your mat? You're in sin. The only thing you care about after 38 years of me being an invalid is the fact that I've got a four-pound mat on my shoulder? That's what matters to you? And they miss the point. They don't even have the ability to celebrate that guy's healing. They now come to Jesus and they're having this discussion and they come to Christ and they accuse him and they say, hey, so because Jesus is doing these things, what things? Healing people on the Sabbath, which was illegal. That seems strange to me. On the Sabbath, let people suffer. On the day that we're to worship God and come unto the Lord, that's the day that, you know what? If you have the power to heal people, don't do it. That would be horrible. Jesus comes back to them. My father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. Now, I confess, I have something probably deep down in the, uh, the bowels of my soul that has um, got a bit of a, a love for something that I'm not sure is healthy. But here it is. So just be honest. I love it when Jesus messes with people. <laughs> I, I really enjoy when Jesus is just poking at them even when they don't know it. Jesus, you're in sin for healing on the Sabbath. And notice what he comes back to them. He says, my father, not our father. It would have been inappropriate for him to say my father. That's exclusive. 
Our Father would have been very common. Our Father who art in heaven. No, my Father is always at his work. Today, he's working. They were speechless. The, the Father, God, is working today? No, 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 it's the Sabbath. He, he, the Father takes the Sabbath off. He taught us that. Jesus, no, 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 my Father. Not your Father, my Father. He's working. He's working today. And I too am going to work. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Why? Because they missed him. They miss everything about Jesus. And you will miss Jesus if you make this whole story about healing because there's really nothing about this story that is centered on healing. It's on the Sabbath. It's a group of people, including the one who was healed. There's no indication to me, you'd have a hard time pressing the fact is that the guy walked away believing Christ and following Christ. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. He encounters him later at the temple and then he turns him into the Jewish leaders. The healing is simply something that Christ uses to expose what? They were missing the point. And when you're missing the point, what Christ tries to do in this lovely situation is to help them get the point of Christ, which is if you honor the son, then you will honor the father. But what does that mean? What does it mean to honor the son that he talks about? It's twofold. Number one is to recognize that you don't observe the Sabbath. Jesus is the Sabbath. These individuals came and they knew, they practiced it all of their life, that the Sabbath was a day of rest unto the Lord. It was a day where you ceased activity. It was a day where you would limit your activity. If you've ever visited a Jewish neighborhood, you could go there and you will see throughout the neighborhood these stakes. And they're on the sidewalks. And what they are is to allow an Orthodox Jewish individual to know how many steps that they can take in a given day before they sin. They couldn't take certain steps. They couldn't put certain weights upon them. They couldn't spend energy preparing food. They had to prepare it the day before just so that they could eat it. They had all of these laws. The Sabbath had been practiced for hundreds of years, but when the Pharisees got a hold of it and the Sadducees got a hold of it, they took it and perfected it, added about 741 different rules and made life terribly complicated. So much so that when a man was healed after 38 years, their interest would not be the celebration of his healing, but the fact that he put a mat on his shoulder and walked with it, which was a sin. The fact that Christ would come to town on the Sabbath and take a man for 38 years that had never been able to get into the water and missed it, and on that day, without touching the water, say, you're healed, take your mat and go home. They knew the Sabbath. They knew how to practice the Sabbath. What they didn't understand was what Jesus was saying. I am the Sabbath. What does he mean by that? Look at Hebrews chapter 4. You can see it on the screen. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest. Pause right there. Notice what it doesn't say. For anyone who observes God's Sabbath. 
For hundreds of years, they observed the Sabbath. They kept the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath was to do the behavior of the Sabbath. Cease activity. Don't labor. Don't heal anyone. Don't help anyone. You would exert energy. Don't take too many steps. That's how you keep the Sabbath. That's not what the text says. The text says for anyone who enters God's rest. Whose rest is it? It's God. Who gives it to you? God does. How do you experience it? You don't observe it. You don't keep it. You enter it. You experience it. You live it. It becomes part of your life. And whoever enters God's rest also rests from his own work. This is just another beautiful way of saying what we all know in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is not of your own work. Otherwise, what would happen? You and I would boast about it. And so Christ comes in purposely on the Sabbath, purposely healing a man, doing work, so that they would understand, my dear friends, you're missing the point. You don't keep the Sabbath. You don't observe the Sabbath. You enter it. It's a gift. Who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his Another passage, put the two together. This one's in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. He says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. In other words, don't let anyone judge you by your behavior. Or with respect to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or a Sabbath day, or a blue moon, or a blue day, doesn't matter. Any of those days are what? They're a mere shadow of the things that were to come The reality, however, is found in Christ. What was the point? Jesus understood. These poor Jewish leaders, they had no idea who Jesus was. And worse, they had no idea what the Sabbath was. They thought it was a day of rest unto the Lord, not a relational person that offered them a gift of rest. They had no idea. They thought it was a law you had to keep, not a shadow of something that was fulfilled in Christ. The fact is, Jesus was the Sabbath. He was the offering. He is the rest. And if you don't get that, if you miss that, If you were trained to respect the Sabbath, to call it the Lord's day as if Monday through Saturday is somebody else's, then you too might be headed down a path where you actually, like those, remember uh, years ago, if you're older, you you remember this, uh, Canada was a little later than we were in extracting what they call blue laws. They they were laws that you couldn't be open. And if you went back to the Midwest in the 70s and even into the 80s, you had whole cities that practiced blue laws. They were essentially, other than hospital and police officers, everyone had to close. And when, by the way, when that was kind of being removed from the United States 
and in Canada, all kinds of people, Christians by and large, were like, oh, this is horrible. This is the secularization of our country. And, and periodically, somebody would say, what, what do you think of the blue laws? And I would say, I, I'd have voted them out a long time ago. I'd never voted for them in the first place. Why? Because I never want to confuse ever what is the gospel and what is the offering of the Sabbath. The offering of the Sabbath is this. Rest is not in a day observed, not in inactivity, but in a relationship with Christ. That's what they missed. And we can miss it too. We can miss it as much as these Jewish leaders. If we fall under the guise that there are certain things I have to do, there are certain festivals that I have to recognize, there are certain behaviors that I have to do, and I have to do them so that I can enter into, or worse, be pleasing to God. You honor the Son when you realize that he's the one who offers the Sabbath. He's the one who offers rest. The true meaning of Sabbath is not inactivity. That was their problem. But it's activity to restore and to redeem. That's why Christ responds back and he goes, my father is always at his work, including today. Oh, that offended them. Because they had grown up with six days God worked and then the seventh he rested. Not understanding that that was going to be a shadow, a picture of what Christ would do. That we would labor and labor and the reality is we would never ultimately get it done until one who died on the cross. Who rose from the dead. Who offered you forgiveness so that you could cease from your work. That's the fulfillment of the Sabbath. The true meaning of the Sabbath is not an activity, but activity to restore and to redeem, to heal an invalid, to save a dead person. Sabbath activity is the same as the saving work of God. And God doesn't take Sundays off. He doesn't take Saturdays off. He doesn't say for any reason, oh, this is the day I'm resting. Uh, you can get saved on Monday. Today's the day. And what they were missing is who was speaking to them. And what they were missing was rest. Secondly, they were missing the idea that Jesus is going to be the judge and the one who is the giver of all life. They came to Christ and they thought for sure that they were the ones who were going to judge him. And Jesus tells him in verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but has crossed over from death to life. They missed it. Because they thought the way you pleased God was through all of this rule keeping. And Christ wanted them to understand there's three things that you have to believe. You have to believe the word of Christ. That's what he says. I want to tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him 
who has sent me. Anyone who believes the word of Christ, I and the Father are one. The Father has sent me. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so even the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. And whoever believes that, you're going to receive eternal life. You're going to be the one who moves from death to life. They missed it. Because they thought that if they could please God by their behavior, and if they could judge those who healed, if they could rebuke those who carried too much weight, they would be honoring God. And I think a lot of us were raised in, this, in some ways, not, not out of ill motive, but we are raised the same way. On the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, this is what you do. Now, I'm not against that. In fact, if I owned a business, I think I'd probably run it like Chick-fil-A. I'd say, you know what? Sunday, go home. Be with your family. But please don't make that in any way equivalent to Sabbath. Because Christ said you missed it because you didn't understand that it is through entering a relationship with Christ that you enter into rest. And it is through belief in the words of Christ that you enter into rest. So what do we do? Two things. Number one, you entrust yourself to Jesus and you will receive life. Entrust yourself to Christ. In 40 years of pastoring, one of the questions that I get regularly is the person who comes in and they are not convinced that they're saved or they're not convinced that their spouse is saved. And when they come in, they'll say something like, Pastor, I just don't think my husband is saved and da-da-da-da-da. And he's sitting right there in the room. And I said, well, why do you think that? Well, because he does this and he does that and he does that. It's like, oh, in other words, you think that your husband, who is quite imperfect, much like you, cannot be saved because of these behaviors. Absolutely. Can't. There's no way you can assure me that he is. And through that conversation, and I, I think I've had this conversation a thousand times, and that's probably under-exaggerating, is that every time they come and make the case for their friend, for themselves, that they're not saved, is they offer the evidence of what? Things they do. My friends, that's simply the other side of the coin that Jesus is running into. What they're telling us, they believe, is that what you need to do to be pleasing to God is to keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath, to limit your steps, to not carry weight, and then I will be pleasing to God. It's really no different when you come to me and say, because I've done this, because I've done this, I can't be saved. And when I come back to passages like this, Romans 9, 10, and I say, uh, your husband, does he believe the words of Christ? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, he says he does. Does he believe that God sent him to die on the cross? 
Yep, 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 he would affirm that. Do you believe that your husband believes Christ has risen from the dead? Oh, yes, yeah, he argues for that. Then tell me why you think he's not saved. Because what you're doing on the back side is the same thing that the Pharisees were doing on the front side. They were saying that if you do these certain steps, you will be saved. And there's a whole lot of people who are saying, if you do these certain steps, surely you must not be saved. Now, do I believe for a moment that when the Holy Spirit enters into your life that he's going to bring about change? Oh, yes, I do. That's a whole nother sermon for another day. But we cannot entrust ourselves to the gospel and then change the rules along the way. If you believe... Whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me, he has eternal life and will not be condemned. What do you do? When the enemy condemns you in your heart because of some bad choices you make? What do you do when the accuser of the brethren shouts at you for appetites that you have that are not honoring to God and you want to get rid of them. You don't go back and change the rules of the gospel. It's there that you must believe. I've entrusted my life to Christ, the one who invites me into rest, the one whose spirit takes up residence in my life, and the one who teaches me how to address sin in my life, not by the muscle of my discipline, but by the power of the shed blood of Christ. I must entrust myself to Jesus and you will receive life. Secondly, I have to be willing to listen to Jesus both now so that I will hear him and rejoice in the future. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has life. Later in verse 28, do not be amazed at this, for there's a time that is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. Circle all. All in the Greek means all. All. That's it. Not a part of him. In other words, when Christ comes back and the graves of every cemetery are opened, every one of them is going to be broken open. And all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good, let's define that in this context. Those who have done good will rise to live. And those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. But everyone will experience resurrection. 
What are those who have done good? Go back up to verse 24. If you believe my words that the Father has sent me and that I bring resurrection, that I am bringing life, if you believe that, then you have listened and on that day you will be resurrected and you will be resurrected to life. If you have rejected me and you have followed all the rules and you have done everything correct and you have taken the right number of steps and you've gone to church the right number of times and if you've given to the right place and if you've cleaned up your life and watched the kind of movies that honor God and you've rejected the kind of movies and you've burned the right albums and you've listened to the, if you've done everything right, but you rejected Christ and you hand to Jesus your Vita, and you say to him, this is why you should let me in heaven, because I was a member of Salem First Baptist Church for 50 years, I gave my time, I taught in the Sunday school, and Lord, here's my Vita. And the Lord Jesus will look at that and say, that's all you did? That was a lot, Lord. No, it's evil. Because if you think for a moment that your good behavior is more powerful than the blood of Christ, you've missed the point. If you think all of the things that you can do is more powerful and more effectual than the blood of Christ, you've missed the point. Listen to Jesus now. What does it mean to listen to him? I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes... He, she, will have eternal life. Therefore, Christ concludes, you don't observe the Sabbath. You don't keep the Sabbath. You live it. You enter into it. You receive it. Because it's a gift. You cease from your work. To keep the Sabbath is to be regimented and disciplined. You would live a wonderful life. You're still dead. You would be noble, probably a good neighbor, but you would be dead. And on that day when Christ comes, if you're not alive and you're in the grave, your grave will open. And rather than coming and receiving the gift of eternal life with Christ, the scripture says you will be condemned. Jesus invites these dear Jewish leaders who came to him one day and said, we judge you as a sinner worthy of death. And Christ says, you don't understand. There will be one day I will stand over you and I will judge you. And the judgment will be this. Did you listen to the words of the gospel?